Good morning and welcome to Grace Presbyterian. I'm Pastor Ryan. We continue in our series this morning on prayer, looking at a dramatic story from the book of Daniel to uncover the hidden purposes of prayer and how we can learn to develop a practical, disciplined prayer life. Thanks for listening. We're in a series on prayer. The challenge is that we would be the kind of people who wouldn't occupy prayer in our lives like the spare tire, right? You only break out the spare tire when you need it. But instead, prayer for us would be the steering wheel of our lives so that every direction we turn is one that has been bathed in prayer. Prayer is a curious thing, though. It seems today in our world it sometimes causes more confusion and more problem. Uh, at least that's kind of what you see on the media. I... Um, I want to quote here from uh, John Lennox's uh, book, an author recording uh, the danger of how prayer is being shut down in uh, the school systems. He, is, he says, take, take for instance the issue of Judge Samuel Kent of U.S. Dish, District Court of Southern District, Texas, in his 1995 ruling that any student mentioning the name of Jesus at a graduation would be given a jail sentence. He says, make no mistake, the court is going to have a U.S. state marshal in attendance at graduation. If any student offends this court, that student will summarily be arrested and face up to six months incarceration in the Galveston County Jail for contempt of court. Anyone who violates these orders is going to wish that he or she died as a child when this court gets through with them. That's what the judge says. Or in this, June 2011, the chief uh, U.S. District Judge Fred Briley handed down this uh, regarding the beginning of prayer at school ceremonies. He says, accordingly, it is hereby ordered that the Medina Valley Independent School District officials, agents, servants, and employees, as well as persons acting in concert with them, are prohibited from allowing prayer to be included in the June 4th graduation ceremony at Medina Valley High School. It continues on here uh, with threats after this. You can't put the word invocation or benediction in the program. It needs to say opening remarks or closing remarks. Um, For all those participating, he says, uh, no one shall ask the audience members to stand, uh, join in prayer, bow their heads. They may not end their remarks with amen or in a deity's name we pray. The district, through its officials, shall review and make any necessary changes to the students' revised remarks. Let me me see that, because we're going to change some things. Just to make sure God's not present in anything that you want to say. Though it be public, and uh, and we can have a different conversation regarding uh, the nature of paid employees in school, but upon personal expression in prayer, from those in our government, handing this down, saying, we're not going to have it. We're not going to have it. In fact, this isn't even so far from home. Um, This is from this summer in Wisconsin. This is off of Fox News. It says the musical rendition. This is not even prayer now. This is the musical rendition of the Lord's Prayer. Many of you may be saying this when you were uh, in choir or even in high school, but not so more uh, today. At East Liver High School, uh, they've done this in their commencement address for the last 70 years. Lisa Isinger performed the sacred song when she was a senior. Uh, in uh, 1986 she says it's a tradition a tradition that she continued when she became a high school choir director but the lord's prayer will no longer be performed at graduation thanks to a bunch of meddling atheists agnostic and free thinkers from wisconsin a document from their predatory behavior 
Oh, she says, I document their predatory behavior in my book, God Less America. The Freedom From Religion Foundation fired off a letter to the school district alleging that someone complained after hearing the song at a 2015 graduation ceremony. The Freedom From Religion Foundation warned that it's against the law for public schools to promote religion, and they asked that no religious songs be sung at graduation. And the district was faced with the choice, drop the song or appease the out, and appease the out-of-school school bullies or take up a costly lawsuit. This is a real deal in our world today. I wonder what it would take for you and I uh, to have our prayer taken away. What, what would it take? What's the cost that you would be willing to pay uh, such that your prayer, your ability, your right to pray to God would be taken away? I think one of the ways we can help to answer that question is by understanding what the purpose of prayer is. What, what really is the whole uh, idea behind praying to God? And so that's what this sermon is about. This morning I want us to look at the book of Daniel. We're going to look at a story. If you brought your Bibles, turn with me now uh, to Daniel chapter 6. Uh, in this passage we're going to find that there, there is an account of, of a government... Uh, that's making a decree, making a, a law that says uh, prayer to God is done with. And we're we're going to see as we look through it a few observations. In fact, there'll be seven observations and then uh, three points of conclusion to recognize what the purpose of prayer is from this text. So I invite you to uh, follow along with me as we read uh, Daniel chapter 6. What's our page there, Alan? 1381, if you have a pew Bible with you. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 6. If your Bible has a heading in it, mine says Daniel in the what? In the lion's den. So you already know where this story's headed. Here we go. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators. That, that already ought to strike you as a kind of an imbalance. Anybody who works in management or H, HR, right? Imagine you had a uh, 40... 40 of these guys who were ruling other people that you were in charge of looking over. Well, that, you know, it's 3 to, well, 1 to 40, right? 3 to 120. That's our, uh, our breakdown here. Um, over one of these, I'm still in verse 2, one of these of whom was Daniel. So Daniel's one of the administrators. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators that the satraps by, and the satraps that by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could not find corruption in him because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charge against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. All right, so you guys get the picture? Uh, Daniel, as a follower of God... <coughs> has conducted his life in such a manner that he stands out amongst the, the normal uh, good old boys. Right? He doesn't do things the way that, uh, hey, look, you know, when, when you're around here, this is how we do. I know you're new here, but this is how we do things. 
right? When a bride comes up, you take the bride, right? When this is going on, you turn your head the other way. Daniel wasn't having any of that. He operated and conducted his life and his business without neglect and without compromise. Because of this, guess what those other guys wanted to do, right? Hey, we got we to get rid of Daniel. Daniel's got to go. They saw this one who had integrity as somebody who was putting them down lower because they knew what they were trying to do and the shady way in which they ran things. So uh, they're looking for a way to get him, and they recognize, of all things, Daniel is most uncompromising in his worship of God. And they say, ha-ha, that's where we can get him. All right, let's continue on. Verse 6. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, now look at this. Oh, King Darius, live forever. Right? What the first thing they do is they butter up the king, right? Hey, have you lost weight? You're looking good. <laughs> live forever. All right? Verse 7. The royal administrators, the prefects, the satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed. I mean, they're making their list. What's the king going to say? We just, we just want to let you know everybody thinks that we need to do this thing. So they got their list right here, right? The governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. A few things I want you to see here. First is this idea of the the law of the Medes and Persians. This in that day was a a way of saying that once this gets on the books, it's in the books. There's no amendment. There's no exchange. There's no changing. There's no repeal. There's no appealing to the Supreme Court. Right? Law of Medes and Persians, man. Once it's in there, it's in there. And and that was the condition that they wanted because they knew. They knew that it wouldn't take Daniel. It wouldn't take him half a year. It wouldn't take them three months. How many days? Did you check this? Look how sneaky these guys were. 30 days. That's all they were going to do because they knew within 30 days, we know Daniel and we're going to catch him. Right? So for just 30 days, they put this into effect. I don't know what Darius was thinking. He actually really likes Daniel. As we look through this, he, 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 he wants to promote Daniel. He sees this guy as an asset to his kingdom, recognizes his character as a follower of God. But he doesn't think through the consequences of this idea of restriction of prayer. Verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the, window, where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to a god or man except you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel! One who is of the exiles of Judah pays no attention. Notice how they play the race card right away, right? Uh, Daniel, they could have just said, one of the administrators that you put over the 120, right? They could have listed a lot of other things, but what do they do? 
Uh, like it is so common in our world today when you want to judge other people. So many people look at the color of your skin, where you came from, your nationality, because we think, ah, that, that somehow differentiates us. Same thing these guys are doing. Same thing, right? They go to the king. One of the exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put into writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said, Remember, O king, according to the laws of Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order. That's, that's a sad line right there in this whole story. That's a sad line, right? So the king gave the order. And they brought Daniel. And they threw him into the lion's den. We read this. I grew up hearing this, right? Daniel in the lion's den. And you saw little cartoon pictures of lion, you know, lions. Right? And, and Daniel. Imagine this real world scenario a den of lions. Uh, Do you ever see uh, anybody see these videos? Sometimes they show highlights of these kids at a zoo, you know, looking at the window, and, and the, the lion comes chasing and stops right before the glass, like that, something like that. I mean, my heart kind of skips a beat, right? Somehow those go viral on the internet, right? Because everybody's like, oh, did you see the lion? Yeah, because guess what lions do? They eat things. This is, this is serious stuff here. I, I can't imagine what it must have been like. What if you were there? What if that was you getting tossed down into a den of lions and suddenly you land on your butt and you look around and there's just these cats licking their legs? <laughs> I, I, I wonder what it would take for you to have prayer taken away. You know what it was for Daniel? He said, you can literally take my life before you take my prayer. He got it. Now he finds himself in the lion's den. The king says, he says, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. That's all, that's all he can muster. That's all the king could say. And he leaves him there. A stone was brought, placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own singlet ring and with the rings of the nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. And then the king returned to his palace. And look at this. He spent the night without eating or without any entertainment being brought to him. And he couldn't sleep. He loved Daniel. The character of Daniel's life was so dignified that this king knew this was the guy. But man, the law is, I got my hands tied on it. But you know what? The king's going gonna, gonna to make an act here pretty soon. So check this out. Verse 19. At the first light of dawn. Like we're not waiting until 8 a.m. Like first light of dawn. He gets up and he hurries to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel? <laughs> Can you imagine? Uh, oh, geez, I hope he answers. Daniel? Right? Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. Right? Buttering up like he likes. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave the orders to, your Bible should read here, 
get him out. <laughs> right? Mine says, lift Daniel up. Get him out. Get him out of there. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and their children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered and crushed all their bones. And then King Darius wrote to all the peoples of the nation. This is pretty cool. Verse 25. Then Darius wrote, the king, right, the, the head of the government. He writes to all the peoples and nations and men to every language throughout the land. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and re- reverence the God of Daniel. For This is awesome. You ready? For he is the living God and endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Amen? And that, that is awesome. Because of Daniel, this man devoted to prayer, recognizing that you can take my life before you take my prayer, living in his life in such a way characterized by prayer that he moved the leader of the nation to see his God because he did not back down. Changed it for everybody. And here it is. The testimony of God, not coming from Daniel's lips, but coming from the king. It's incredible. There's one main verse I want us to just evaluate and make some observations on. It comes in uh, verse 10. Uh, you have uh, in your notes um, seven things that are, are recognized within this one verse. In verse 10 it says, Now when Daniel learned uh, the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. I want you to see a couple of things. Number one, first thing is he's undeterred by threats. You remember the threat? All right, Medes and Persians, right? This is, this is law of the land that if you pray to anyone other than the king, you're going to die. Look what Daniel does. When he learned that that had been published... All right, you guys, I got to go. Hey, where are you going, Daniel? I'm going to pray. Oh, hey, pal, did you not, did you not hear that if you do that, if you go pray, they're going to throw you into the lions. That's why I got to pray. I got to pray that God's going to take control of this situation. I got to pray that God's going to give me strength because you can take my life, but you ain't never going to take my prayer. This challenges me because I wonder how very far it would be before I would back down from saying, you know what, I'm not going to pray. He wasn't losing his job. He wasn't losing a promotion. He wasn't being shunned by his family. He was going to lose his life. And the text, look at this in verse 10. It says, when he learned that it had been published. It's almost like, hey man, did you hear the new law went in? Can't pray to anybody but the king. Oh, excuse me, I got to go. Like immediately, he finds out about it. He knows the threat is there, but he is undeterred. He is unchanged. Can't move him. Next thing I want you to see this. He has unashamed resolve. Unashamed resolve. Because look where he goes. He goes where? He goes home. Right? Does your Bible say that? Right? Verse 10. Where does he go when he learned has been published? Or where does he go? 
He goes home to pray. Think about that for a minute. If that was you and I, and I had learned, oh man, they're going to kill anybody who's praying, and my practice is to pray to, to my God. I'm not praying to the king, so I'm going to go, you know, to the school maybe to pray. Or I'm going to go to the church maybe to pray. But I'm sure not going where. Because that's exactly where they're going to look. Unashamed resolve. Hey, you know where to find me. right? You, you got a problem with my practice of serving my God? You know where to find me. I'm at 912 West Ludington. All right? So you can, you can drive down there any day or night. What you will do is you will find me praying to my God. Daniel has unashamed resolve. He doesn't go into a cave. He doesn't, he doesn't wait till the, all right, the lights are out. It's all dark. And, and now I'm going to pray to my God. He does it right to his house. You know where you can find me. I'm not changing the thing. Unashamed resolve. Next, look at this. Unwavering obedience. Unwavering obedience. Now, we don't catch this right away, but notice, what direction does he pray? Yeah, he faces Jerusalem, and you might think, well, that's just fine, I guess, but you need to remember, Daniel is a Jewish guy that's been held captive in another country. He's actually being obedient to God's word here because Solomon wrote in 1 Kings, I got it up here for just a part of it, but listen to this. Solomon, when he's dedicating the temple in 1 Kings 8, he says, and if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and they repent and they plead with you in the land of their captors and say, we have sinned and we have done wrong and we have acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you, with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive and pray to you towards the land you gave their ancestors, towards the city you have chosen and the temple that I have built for your name. Then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Forgive all the offenses they've committed against you and their cause, the captors would show them mercy. Solomon wrote that. Daniel knew it. And now he's a captive. I remember when I was a young man, I went down to Green Bay uh, with, my, with my band and we were staying. I was, I was pretty young, but we were staying as a group uh, in these dorms. And I remember it was just, you know, I was away from home. I was away from the things I was familiar with. And so you know what I did? Is I prayed. Because God was with me even when I was there. Do you know there's not a place that you can go on this earth where God is not with you? And that by being obedient to his word, our hearts are renewed. In this case for Daniel, the obedience was to recognize the God that makes his promises. Because God's land was Jerusalem. God's temple was in Jerusalem. That was the promise given to his people. And so, like Solomon said, when Daniel's going to pray, he's going to face Jerusalem because there's something that changes when we change our, our uh, posture, our procedure in prayer. I don't know about you, but when I, when I get down on my knees and pray, sometimes my heart is just a little softer. Right? When I'm driving in my car trying to pray, you know, that doesn't always hit my heart just right, although I can pray in the car as well. But when my posture changes, when I change the direction of my, my, my eyes, maybe it is for you in your home, you've got a, a cross on a wall somewhere. Maybe you've got a Bible that sits open. Maybe you've got a special place where it just your posture reminds you and it changes your perspective. For Daniel, it was obedience. His law says, face Jerusalem. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to face Jerusalem. That's what he does. 
Uh, we kind of do that when we sing the Gloria Patri. What do we do? We all, we all face the cross. It's a bit of a reminder, right? I, I don't know about you, but when I'm singing that, you know what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about how God the Father loved me so much that he sent his son to redeem me by his spirit. Because I'm looking at the instrument that God used for that. So he's got unwavering obedience. All right, number four, I want you to see this. Unmoved commitment. How many times a day did he pray? This was legit three times as well. This wasn't like uh, I get out of bed. Oh, dear God, help me do it. Going to bed at night, right? And before I eat or before every meal, I'm going to pray. You know what Daniel did? Daniel played three times every day. He had an unmoved commitment to a prayer life. Now, you might sit back and think, well, that's because he's Daniel, right? Yeah, Pastor Ryan, you don't know uh, what my job entails, right? I, I don't have the luxury of Daniel uh, to just have a, all this free time on my hand to pray three times a day. I'm lucky if I get one chance a day. You know what, church? You're not going to have time unless you make time. You say that with me. You're not going to have time unless you make time. You're not going to have time unless you make time. And you know what Daniel did? He prioritized God's authority in his life. And he made time. You think you're busy? Check out Daniel's job. Did you remember what it was in verse 2? Where is it? Uh, Please, Darius, to appoint 120 satraps to rule over the kingdom, and with them three administrators, of which Daniel was one of them. That's like being, uh, in our world, uh, vice president, speaker of the house, or secretary of state. And we would make the excuse that I'm too busy to pray. You're never going to have time to pray, church, unless you make time. Daniel had a commitment to this. It was unmoved. It was unchanged. It was unflinching. It was uncompromising. He was going to pray three times a day. Next, look at this. Unabashed reverence. Unabashed reverence. What did he do when he prayed? He got down on his knees earlier. You'll recognize the windows were open. I I just think the windows are open, meaning what? People can, can... I'm not hiding. I'm not going into hiding on this, right? My windows are open and I am bowing. I am bending my knees before God because I have unabashed reverence to God. The other day, I took my son to the North Dickinson, um, the girls game, JV1. Woo-hoo! <laughs> it was a good game. And we went home and we stopped at Wendy's on the way back. He never had a Frosty before. How have you never tried a Frosty, right? It's because you lived in the Bahamas for most of your life. That's why. So we got a Frosty for him. And uh, before, before we were, uh, were going to eat, you know what we did? Because I'm looking around. Know what we did before we ate? We prayed. And I guess that's kind of a bizarre thing to see in a fast food restaurant. But you know what? Unabashed reverence to God. I'm going to bow my head before God. And the worst thing that you or I will receive on this world is someone sitting back being like, look at that idiot, right? Bowing his head at Wendy's. That's, that's what we get. Daniel was going to get thrown in the lion's den and still sometimes our hearts aren't bold enough to pray. Look at number six here. Uncompromising recognition. Uncompromising recognition. As he bends his knee to pray, he gives thanks to God. Who does he recognize? It's, it's not the position that he has. It's not, he's not diversifying his portfolio. Right? He's not balancing his checkbook. He's not checking his rewards points on his visa. <laughs> he is recognizing God 
to be the one where he receives all his goodness from. He's got an uncompromising recognition. It's not the law of man he's interested in. It's the law of God that he's interested in. And when he prays, he gives thanks. I don't know if giving thanks, if I was in his circumstance, would be the first thing on my mind. What about you? Hey, if you pray, you're going to get thrown in the lion's den. Thank you, Lord. I, I don't know if that would be the first thing on my mind. But it would be if you were recognizing God. If your recognition was to look to Him. Who's in charge, church? Who's in charge? God. Say it loud. Who's in charge? God. And we got to believe that. And you know what prayer does? Prayer puts God in that position. He thanks God because he knows God's in charge. And in that moment where I'm struggling, in that moment where life looks like it's going off the rails, I need to remember he's in charge. I'm going to give recognition to his authority and sovereignty. All right, lastly is this. He's got an unchanged commitment. It's unchanged. How often did Daniel do this? With the window open, facing Jerusalem, three times a day, on his knees, giving thanks. That's what he always did. That's what he always did. There's no change here. There's no change. And the threat was his life. The threat was his life. As we look through this, I feel like we can bring out some purposes of prayer. What really is prayer doing? Because we see it in the story. But woven between the lines of the pages here, God is doing something in the heart of his servants through prayer. I want to share those with you. Number one is this. Prayer recognizes God's authority and sovereignty. Prayer recognizes God's authority and God's sovereignty. How do you answer this question? Uh, who's in charge when, when the doctor calls and he says, hey, we found something on that scan. Uh, who, who's in charge when your loved one is there suffering? Who's in charge when the boss comes down and says, I hate to say this, but we got to downsize. Right? You know, each of us begins to think that God's gone. Or, or somehow i got to scramble to control my circumstances. It's like we're riding in the car of our life where, as believers, Jesus is behind the wheel. right? Because that's what it means to be a Christian. It means that Jesus drives your life. The direction he wants to go is where I'm going to go. But sometimes you and I are looking out the windshield and we start not recognizing the terrain. We start saying, hey, uh, miss, that missed job opportunity right there, that, that's the wrong road. Where are we going? This doesn't look right. My loved one is, is going to pass away, is going to die. This isn't the right direction. And we start focusing out the window on our circumstances. You know what we need to do? We need to look back at the driver. And that's what prayer does. God is still in charge, church. God is still in control. No matter what it is that we face. You know what prayer does? It recognizes his sovereignty and his authority. Sovereignty means that God's in control. He's on the throne whether it looks like it or not. And authority means that we answer to him. You and I will fail to see this. We will fail unless we approach him through prayer. Because number one, prayer recognizes God as sovereign. That's what Daniel did. As soon as the, you know what, the king can make a decree. The guy at the top can make a law. But you know what? He ain't in charge. My God is in charge. That's why when I get down on my knees to pray, I remember that. I remember that. It brings me to my second thing. Is that prayer changes our perspective. Prayer changes our perspective. Because that moment we recognize His authority. We remember that God is in control. 
we suddenly have a different viewpoint on life. It shifts that attention. It moves it from outside that windshield where we don't know where we're going back to the driver who's in control. It's a change in perspective from fear to faith. It's a change in perspective from bondage to freedom. It's a change in perspective from the things I want to the things God wants. That's what prayer does. It shifts our perspective. I mean, I want the Packers to win as much as the next guy, right? But if I start praying that, I know, look, God's not terribly interested in that because the Cowboys are praying the same thing. I know that. I used to live in Dallas. I know they're praying that right now, right? God's not interested in that one way or the next. You know what he's interested in? He's interested in your sanctification. He's interested in you becoming more like him. So when you pray and you start going on with foolishness, you're going to recognize very quickly that's not what God's interested in. And your perspective will begin to change. Prayer changes our perspective. There's actually, there's actually one thing I really want us to pay attention to. Because if we were to sit in this scenario, Daniel went home to pray. And what do you think his hope was? Imagine. King says, you're going to die if you don't pray to me. Daniel goes home and prays. What do you think his hope was? If it was me, it would be that the king would change this foolish law. But that's not what happens. You know what would happen? My prayer would have gone, answered the direction I don't want it to go. Teresa read for us out of Luke. I want you to look back at this real briefly. Luke chapter 22. Because there's a difficulty within prayer where we have to recognize this idea of perspective change. Luke 22, 39 through 42. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw away beyond them, knelt down, and prayed. Have you guys read this? You see this? Look at this. Verse 30, 42. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Jesus prayed that. Jesus knew what he was facing. And so he gets down on his knees like Daniel does. He does so like he has done throughout his whole life, like Daniel did. And he prays to God, take this away from me. And God says no. And Jesus teaches us to pray in a manner that we need to adopt into our lives. Because look what he says at the end of verse 42. Yet not my will, but yours, O God, be done. How do you handle that when God answers your prayer with no? How do you handle that when God answers your prayer with not right now? The more that we become followers of Christ that pray, the more our perspective will change so that I can go further down this road of not knowing the terrain or the, or the scenery, but I see my God is in control. I recognize his authority. I recognize his sovereignty and my perspective Changes so that I can even hear when God doesn't answer my prayers in the way that I want Him to. I think that's a really visceral reality for us. I mean, it's it's part of our lives when God. I mean, help me out here, church. Is God always answering your prayers, right, every single time, or do you like Jesus, or do you like Daniel encounter moments where it just doesn't look right? Prayer will change your perspective. All right. Lastly, is this: prayer accomplishes God's plan. Prayer accomplishes God's plan. 
The result of Daniel's faith was a public testimony of the living God in a pagan city. This city that didn't recognize the creator God at all is now from the top level of government down declaring this. For he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. You know what God's plan is? God's plan is for this globe. It's not, so, it's not Segola or Channing or Iron Mountain or Crystal Falls or Felch. It's everywhere. God wants his worship to come from every tongue and every nation. And do you know what prayer did in this? Do you know what Daniel's prayer did in this case? It accomplished his plan. So that here, among the Persians, the God of the Jews is being worshipped. That's God's plan. Number one, prayer recognizes God's sovereignty and his authority. Number two, prayer changes our perspective. And number three, prayer accomplishes God's plan. So whatever happened to that school in Wisconsin, I want to share this with you. pretty cool church that's pretty cool because you know what it was before that it was just a song and do you know what the boldness of a bunch of high schoolers did is it transformed the stadium so that everybody declared worship to the one true God if we pray it'll change our perspective it will cause us to recognize the one who is truly in charge he is sovereign and he is Authoritative. And lastly, it will accomplish his purpose on earth. What I want to ask you, and you have this here, is what could you identify in your life that would cause you not to pray? What is it in your life? I don't know if we have people who work in environments where that's just not something that, that's accepted. Or maybe it's just kind of your own fear, right, of what people will think of you. Maybe it's this... You know what? I just don't know how to pray. I've never done it before. Whatever it is, identify that and then put God before that. There's a blank for you in your notes to write that down, to say this. I choose today to put God before whatever that is. I want to encourage you, church. If we understand the purpose of prayer, there's nothing that will stop God's will from being accomplished on this earth.